So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Bible and what the Bible is and how people tend to misuse the Bible because they, they misunderstand what the Bible is and that leads to using it in the wrong way. And we talked about how the Bible is a record of old and new promises. And we talked about how the Bible comes from an Eastern point of view rather than a Western point of view. So we have to take that into consideration. And then last week, we talked about how the Bible is really a love letter, not a rule book. And we need to approach it differently because it's a love letter and not a rule book. So now that we have a foundation for what the Bible is, what we need to start talking about is, okay, here's what it is. How do I use it? What do I do with this thing? How do I start to put into use the Bible now that I have a background for what it is? And there's really two broad ways to approach the Bible. And seminary had these really fancy Latin words that it used. You can either imprint what you think onto this book or you can let what this book says imprint onto you. And the two big kind of fancy Latin words that seminary uses are exegesis or eisegesis. Now, most of you probably haven't walked around in your everyday life and been like, I'm going to exegete something. That's just not a word we use. So what do we mean by this? In real simple language, exegete is to draw out and eisegete is to pour in. And so I'm, I thought, why not just make it real practical today and actually just have some props? So, so to exegete would be if this is the Bible and this is our minds, it's empty. We're like, okay, I'm going to come to the Bible without any bias, without any presuppositions, and I'm going to take what's in the Bible and put it into my mind. I'm going to draw out of the Bible and put it into myself. Now, eisegesis is the opposite. It's when you're like, I already have some thoughts in my head. Here's what I already think. Here's what I already believe. This is what I already want. And then I come to the Bible, and I'm going to pour my thoughts, my point of view, what I wanted to say into the Bible and try to make the text say what I want. Now, there's another way to look at this, and, um, and that is to think of Plato and a mold. And um, with a mold, this would be us approaching the Bible with eisegesis, and the Bible in this case is like Plato, and we say, I already think this. In this case, you're thinking of the number six for some reason, but for this example. And so you go to the Bible and you say, I'm going to read a passage, and I'm going to really press into what I already think into the Bible. Whereas exegesis, I'm going to say these so often I'm going to get them confused at some point. Exegesis would be, we say, okay, the Bible is a mold and my mind is going to be um, malleable and I'm going to say, okay, what does the Bible impress onto me? And I'm going to let the Bible impress my thinking rather than trying to press my thinking into what the Bible already says. Now, most people are going through life like a press mold. And they're going around to everybody and they're like, this is what I think and I want to force it onto what you think. And the only problem is everybody they're encountering is doing the exact same thing. They're like, well, I'm a mold too and I'm going to press what I think onto you. And if you take two molds and press them against each other, there's no imprint. Like nothing changes. Two molds don't mold each other at all. And really, this is like a picture of social media right here. You have somebody over here who's like, this is my perspective. And they're trying to force it onto somebody else who's like, this is my perspective. And then they wonder, nobody changed their mind. Why did nobody change their mind? Everybody was trying to be a mold and no one grows or changes their mind or actually matures. Now, the, the reason why we do this though, right, is we think if my mind's like this Play-Doh, if I'm just flexible and I let people impress what they're thinking on me, they're going to end up controlling me by making me think like them. 
and we start thinking that if we're malleable, if we actually listen to people and let them press their ideas on us, they'll end up controlling us. But I really think that the people who end up being the most controlled are those who rigidly hold on to what they're already thinking so strongly that they can't even listen to anybody else or learn from them. And the people who go around and say, you know what, I'm a mold and I'm just going to try to force my views on everybody, that ends up being a bad way to live. But I think if we're a little bit malleable and we say, oh, I'll actually listen to what you have to say, what's amazing is it doesn't end up controlling us because we're flexible enough to just kind of fold it into what we're thinking and it doesn't end up defining us. So I think it's a bad way to go through life just constantly saying, I'm going to force my ideas on everybody else and I'm not going to listen or learn from anyone. It's a bad way to go through life, but it's also a bad way to approach the Bible. And some of us, when we open up the Bible, we're like, I already know what I think, I already know what I believe, I already know, and I'm going to make the Bible conform to my politics, to my position, to my ideas, to my thoughts. A lot of times when we read the Bible and we read a story, we're like, oh, I'm the good guys in this story. Well, there's sometimes we're actually closer, maybe have more in common with the bad guys in the story. We can't always read ourselves in as the hero of the text. Our tendency is to try to imprint what we already think into this text so it affirms what we think and so that it agrees with us. So I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan. I love Sherlock Holmes and all from Robert Downey Jr. to, um, you know, the BBC Sherlock. Uh, but when I was a kid, I used to read the Sherlock books. And in the first ever Sherlock adventure, it's called A uh, Study in Scarlet, Watson and Holmes are going to this investigation. And Watson looks over at Holmes and he says, do you have any theories about what happened at this murder? And Holmes says, no, how could I have theories? I haven't seen the crime scene yet. And he goes, you have to have some guesses or some ideas or some theories. And Holmes says, no, no, I'm working really hard not to have theories. Because he says, if I have theories before I get there and see the facts, I'll begin to see the facts through the lens of my theories. And essentially what he's saying is our tendency is, if we're already thinking something, we begin to look at facts through the lens of what we already think to affirm what we already think. And so he had to work really hard to keep himself from thinking of theories, lest he begin to see facts through the lens of his theories. If we don't work really hard, our tendency is going to read the Bible in such a way that it affirms what we already think. There was a study I was reading this week in Scientific American, and they did a study on young adults and older adults, and what they found is young people, this is young 20, 30-somethings, most of our age here, um, they found that whatever argument they heard first, even if there were better arguments for opposite points of view later, whatever the first argument was, young people tended to agree that that was the best argument. Whichever one they heard first, they're like, yep, that was the best one. Even if they heard three other ones from different positions that were actually better argued and had more um, points and more facts and more data or were better constructed. They said the first one, that's the one we thought was the best. And so our natural tendency is whatever we heard first to think, man, that's, that's the right thing. They did a study of older adults and they found that older adults preferred one-sided arguments even if a two-sided argument presented better data or better information. They're like, I just want to hear from one side. Don't give me the other side. I don't care if there's a counterpoint. And so studies found that our normal human tendency is we don't want to challenge what we already think. We just want to affirm what we already think. And that's a dangerous way to approach the Bible. Because what we'll do is we'll come in and sometimes we might have a wrong idea or we might have a wrong thought and we try to force that idea onto the text instead of letting the text 
change what we think. We tend to listen to what already agrees with us and ignore or skip over or avoid the passages that don't. Now, that's a dangerous way to live life, and I think it's a dangerous way to approach the Bible. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 through 17, Paul writes to Timothy this, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. But be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly teaches the word of truth or studies or um, reads the word of truth, depending on your translation. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in those things will produce even more godliness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. And so, first of all, you see in verse 14 here, he says, remind them of these things. What is he reminding them of? Well, if you jump back to verse 8, he says, remember this, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. According to the gospel, the good news which I suffer for being bound like a criminal. And he says this in verse 9. But the word of God is not bound. And so the first thing he says here in verse 14 is remind them that the word of God is not bound. That's what we need to be reminded of. That you can't cage up the Bible. That you can't try to bind it or hold it down. We need to come to the Bible and let it loose in our minds. And sometimes when we come to this, we're like, hmm. You can run right over here, but if it fits outside of my box or what I think it should say, then I'm not going to actually let it affect my heart and mind. See, I think sometimes we try to cage the Bible into a small box so that we can dismiss what it says or we can disarm what it says. And um, in Hebrews 4.12, it says the Bible is living and active, that it actually starts to, uh, like a living creature, work in your heart and mind. And I think a lot of times we try to cage it up and put it into a box. And you don't put living things into a box. You put dead things. We call it a casket, right? We put a dead thing into a casket. But we need to let the Bible, like a living creature, like a living thing, affect our hearts and our minds. We don't need to bind it or hold it back with our presuppositions and biases when we approach it. Now, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with magic. I was not very good, but I was obsessed with magic. I thought about doing some horrible magic tricks that I used to do as a kid up here, and I was like, that would be so horrible. I shouldn't, so I, I didn't do it. But, I mean, I had really bad tricks. Like, I had this horrible kid's um, magic illusion book, and I would read through it, and I would horribly perform all the tricks, and it was brutal, and there's some horrible VHS videos of it. But then I saw a movie about Harry Houdini and him doing escape magic. And I thought, this is the problem. I've been trying to do sleight of hand. I'm an escape magician. So imagine me, you know, as an eight, nine, ten-year-old boy, overweight, little chunky kid, and I've decided I'm an escape magician now. And so I would go to my family, and I'd be like, tie me up. I'd like have some rope, and I'm like, tie me up as tight as you can. I'm going to get out. Or I'd go to the neighborhood kids, not a smart plan, and uh, be like, tie me to this tree and leave me in the woods. I'm going to escape. Or sometimes I'd go to my sister and I'd be like, tie me up. Don't tell mom and dad where I am. I'll escape. I'll be back home. 
stupid, stupid kid. And so there's these home videos of me as a kid where like my legs are tied up and I'm just kind of like hopping along, you know, in the background of the video. And you're like, what is going on? Well, I was halfway escaped, you know? And then there's other ones where my hands are tied up and we're at dinner and I'm trying to eat with just my face and my family's just ignoring it like that kid's weird, you know? But um, I was a very weird kid. But I would tie myself up or have someone tie me up and I'd try to escape because I thought I was a magician. But what happened was I was super limited in what I could do because I was tied up. But I think sometimes that's how we approach the Bible. We approach the Bible and we bind it. We say, okay, I only think we're going to look at it within these parameters or because of this framework, I'm only going to accept this part of it. And sometimes we don't give it the freedom to challenge some of our deepest held beliefs and identities and values. In seminary, sometimes they give me such a tight theological box for God and the Bible. It was so small that sometimes when I read the Bible through that lens, I'm like, okay, well, that's not how things work. And, you know, I'm already dismissing things instead of just saying, let this passage work in my life. Let this passage reveal God to me. Instead of just coming at it and thinking about it so systematically that I bind it and what it can do and what it can change in my life, that I end up dismissing it. If we always read the Bible through the lens of like this tightly bound presuppositions and biases, we'll tend to fit it into a very narrow framework and it won't do the work it wants to do in our hearts and minds and lives. So I have to discipline myself when I come to the Bible to approach it to listen and learn rather than to assume and comment. I mean, I went to school, I went to seminary literally to learn how to assume and comment on the text. And I have to unlearn that when I read this now and think, okay, how do I come to this and let it speak to me that I can learn from it instead of trying to force what I know onto it. And you'll notice in the last part of verse 14 there, he says that we should not fight about words as is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Quarreling ruins people. And I see people sometimes quarrel over very small things about the Bible, these very small elements of like, well, I see this this way, and I see this this way, and they miss the fact that the Bible allows us to encounter a living God. My grandfather was a very hard man. He's not a nice guy. Like, I remember as a kid, I was kind of scared of him, and he was always kind of grumpy and mean and bitter, and he tended to say harsh things to everybody around him. And uh, when my mom was a little girl, the, her family went to church for a little while, and they went to this little church, and uh, the pastor there started to invite my grandfather on some pastor conferences he was going to, and he's like, why don't you ride with me and all these other local pastors? And I think the pastor, Looking back now at that story, as I hear it, um, I think the pastor was thinking, I need to help this guy encounter Jesus. And so he's like, I'm going to get him around some other pastors, and we can build some relationships with them and tell them about Jesus. So he would ride with this local pastors, these local pastors, and um, as he would tell the story, my grandfather would tell the story, he says, all those pastors did was ever, all they ever did was argue about the Bible. They would just argue about these little points that they disagreed on. And after a few years of attending church, my grandfather finally got mad about uh, something that happened. And he stopped going and my mom's family never went back. He got mad because he wanted to be Jesus in the Easter play. And they said, you really need to be a follower of Jesus if you're going to be Jesus in the Easter play. And he's like, how dare you demand that? And he walked out and never went back to church. 
And so as I would talk to him, as an older man, he was in a, uh, he was an assisted living home and I'd go every Friday and meet with him and I'd talk to him about Jesus and what Jesus was doing in my life and he'd always say this, if those idiot pastors in that car couldn't agree on the Bible, how could it mean anything to somebody like me? And so I think these pastors love Jesus. I think they loved my grandpa and they wanted to reach my grandpa with the good news of Jesus. They wanted him to become a student of the way that Jesus lived and loved. But I think they argued so much over the bindings, the trappings, the boxes that they were putting around the Bible that they forgot that the Bible was the important part. And that there was somebody listening there who needed the Bible, not necessarily the little points of contention that they had about the interpretation of it. They forgot that the Bible was the important part, not the binding they were trying to rope it into. Now, at the end of my life, at the end of my grandfather's life, thankfully, he was humbled through sickness and weakness, and he finally surrendered his life to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, I want you to rule my life. But for years, the binding that some believers put on the Bible was a barrier for my grandfather encountering Jesus. And I think sometimes if we come at this book and we're trying to box it in so much we can actually create barriers for other people encountering Jesus through the book. And then in verse 15, you see that we should approach the Bible prepared. It says in verse 15, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. I, I love the fact that I can get things at an instant notice. Like the internet in my pocket at any time is great because someone asks me a question and I'm like, let's Google it. And I look it up. I love the YouVersion app because I can instantly pull up the Bible anywhere I am. I don't have to lug around a big book. I can just pull it up at any point. But the ease in which we can access the Bible means that sometimes I don't take the time to prepare myself to access the Bible. Because I can access it so quickly and so easily, sometimes I approach it without making proper preparation. And I think the reason that sometimes we don't know how to use the Bible is because no one's ever taught us how to prepare our hearts and minds to approach the Bible. Paul here uses the example of a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. Essentially, the picture is, imagine you showed up at work and you were a construction worker and you didn't bring any tools. Or my dad worked at a power plant and when he had to go into the power plant, he always had to wear a hard hat. No hard hat, no access. So it would be like him showing up and he's like, I'm going in. They're like, you don't have a hard hat. You can't get in. And he says to show up at work without the tools you need would be ridiculous. But he says that's the way some of us approach the Bible. We show up without being prepared, preparing our hearts and our minds. My first job that I ever had was at Walmart. Very glamorous. Like that's the, that's the horrible, most horrible job you can have, to have a rural Tennessee Walmart job. And... Uh, Every time you'd go in, you had to clock in with your badge. If you didn't have your badge, you could not clock in. And so there'd be these people who show up and they're like, I'm here for work. And they're like, you don't have your badge. You've got to go back home and get it because you can't clock in without it. And you'd be like, oh man, I forgot it. You know, you were ashamed. It was, it was foolish to show up without your badge. But some of us show up to the Bible. We open it up and we're like, look, I'm reading it. That's good. But we show up to have an encounter with God without first preparing our hearts and our minds 
without taking the time to discipline ourselves to approach this book, not to pour our ideas into it, but to draw out the truth that's in it. Not to bind it into a small box where we say, okay, God can only work within these restrictions, and if a passage doesn't fit into that, I'm just going to throw it out or ignore it. We have to prepare our minds to let the Bible run freely through our hearts and minds when we read it. <coughs> and then in verses 16 and 17, Paul encourages Timothy to remind people to stop talking about things that don't matter. He says, avoid irreverent and empty speech and all those uh, talking points that don't really matter. Don't waste time talking about the things that don't matter. And don't give attention to the people who waste time talking about things that don't matter. It fascinates me sometimes with the Bible, a book that tells us about how we can know God and live in love like Jesus. And people will pull out one, some tiny verse out somewhere and they'll be like, you know what? I think this is like tied into some ancient mythology. And they're like, you know, it's kind of like if you've seen on one of those television shows where the guy has a board with all the yarn all across the thread, you know all across the wall and you're like okay how are you getting all this there's plenty for us to focus on in our everyday life without trying to pull out some random thing that doesn't apply to what really matters it reminds me of what james the half-brother of jesus writes in james 119 he says dear brothers and sisters understand this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to get angry Imagine if we prepared ourselves to approach the Bible like this, that we said, you know what, I'm going to be quick to listen to what it has to say. I'm going to be slow to comment. I'm going to be slow to get offended if it says something I don't like. Imagine if that was your preparation every time you went to the Bible and you said, okay, I want to listen to what God is saying through this. I'm not going to rush to make a comment about it, but I'm going to let it comment on me. And I'm not going to get offended if it makes a comment that I don't like or if it says something that rubs up against something in my life. Imagine if we approached other people this way. That's what James was talking about, that we should be quick to listen to people, slow to comment, slow to assume, and slow to get offended. And so this week I want to encourage you to put this into practice. Let's, let's approach the Bible this week this way. How can I listen instead of trying to put my thoughts and my opinions and my biases and my presuppositions in? How can I read this with open ears and eyes? Slow to comment, slow to assume. How can I let God speak to me through the text? And how can I be slow to get offended when it says something I don't like or it reveals something to me that I don't like? It's really hard to do that with the Bible, but it's also hard to do that with people. And I think that we need to do those in unison together. We need to approach the Bible that way, but we also need to approach our coworkers and our friends and our family in the same way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this reminder, this challenge to me. So often, Lord, as I open up the Bible, I'm not trying to have an encounter with you. I'm trying to conquer a text and wrangle it and wrestle with it and pull it into some kind of lesson or teaching or message. And Lord, forgive me for so often trying to bind the Bible and tame it and bring it down to a place where I can present it to others instead of letting it run free in my heart and mind, let it wrestle with some of my motivations and my thoughts and my desires. And God, I pray that you will encourage all of us to 
this week to approach the Bible with fresh eyes, not to push onto it what we already think, not to push onto it our biases and our presuppositions, our values and ideas, but to truly let this book imprint on us. Lord, I pray that we're not offended, we're not easily offended, but Lord, that we, we take what you're saying and we let it run wild in our souls and change us from the inside out. And I pray all these things like I believe Jesus would. Amen.